Good morning. So glad to see each and every one of you. Now, when I say Christian, you think, ah, okay, all right, all right, all right. Maybe we shouldn't say it out loud because there are all sorts of, you know, words and phrases that might come to mind. Not all of them are positive. I understand that. But what I'm asking is, like, what do you think the defining quality of somebody who claims to be a Jesus follower actually is? Like, if we're trying to describe a spiritually mature person, somebody who's been truly transformed by God, what qualities or characteristics would be true about them? You might say, oh, well, if we're talking about somebody that's spiritual, it's probably somebody who prays a lot, right? Like somebody who prays a lot is probably a spiritually mature person. Sure. It might be someone who never cusses. That's the mark of a spiritually mature person. If that's the case, some of you guys are in trouble. All right. I understand. I do. Uh, Perhaps uh, a spiritually mature person is someone who has learned to forgive those who hurt them. That's certainly a mark of of being spiritually mature. You might be thinking to yourself, Dan, in my experience, the defining quality of somebody who is a Christian is a holier-than-thou attitude, okay? I know it. I've met those believers myself. Hey, rather than guessing, let's take a look at what Jesus said, because there's actually a teaching in the New Testament that he gives that he explicitly tells us what quality or characteristic should define his followers. He makes it very, very clear, and he also tells us a little bit more about how God expects us to use our resources in his service to bless the world and to expand his kingdom. So what we're going to do today is we move into the third week of this series called Get Your Bag, a series on the parable of the talents. We're actually not going to read the parable of the talents today. Instead, what I want to do is I want to look at the the sermon in which the parable of the talents uh, occurs. You know, the parable of the talents was really an illustration that Jesus used in a much larger sermon. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been focused on that specific illustration, but uh, today I want to look at the wider context, because when we look at the wider context, we're going to get a clearer understanding of what exactly Jesus meant in this story about a master who goes on a journey and entrusts his money to his servants while he's gone. So let's do this. Let's read the context of the parable of the talents. We're going to read Matthew chapter 25, same chapter we have been reading, but we're going to read verses 31 through 46. Now understand the parable of the talents ends in verse number 30, and then we're going to pick it up right here in verse 31. So this is not a a later message that Jesus preached. He doesn't even stop to take a breath. He just goes right into this next part of the teaching. And the reason that that's important is because what Jesus is going to say this morning informs how we understand the parable that we've been reading over the last couple of weeks. All right, here you go. Matthew 25, so fascinating. If you've never heard this before, I promise you, you're going to find this a bit mind-blowing. Verse 31, Jesus says, says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and with all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. Okay. Before we go on, let me just pause here. Remember in the parable of the talents, Jesus talks about a master who goes on a long journey and then returns. And so I told you all along, Jesus is the master who's gone on a long journey. One day he will return. We read here this little detail. It connects what's come before with what he's about to say after. When Jesus returns at the second coming, he's going to come with angels. He's going to come with the saints and he is going to be seated on a glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay, do we have any farmers in the room? 
Anybody from like Rocky View County or something out there? I know we live in Alberta, so there are definitely some farmers and ranchers. I am not one of them, okay? But I know many of you are. And if you are one of those people or you're familiar with the first century, you know that first century shepherds would often keep sheep and goats together in the same herd or the same flock as they would feed along the hillside and travel around looking for resources and things like that, okay? There's not that much of a difference between sheep and goats, but sheep are not goats and goats are not sheep. Are you tracking with me? They're cousins, but they're different animals. Similar, but not exactly the same. By the way, Goats are funny, you guys. I don't know. Like, do you watch TikTok videos of goats and stuff like that? Man, they crack me up, I'm telling you. But goats are also ornery. If you know goats, you know that they will do anything they can to get into trouble, to stir up trouble. They often cause problems, even amongst a herd of other goats and sheep. So first century shepherds would actually, if there was a time to shear the sheep, or if they were going to milk the animals or something like that, they would separate the sheep from the goats so that the farmer or the shepherd could focus on one particular animal. And Jesus says here, in the last days, on judgment day, all the people of the earth are going to be gathered in front of the king. Jesus, and he is going to separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Again, here in in this sentence, there are echoes of what the master said in the parable of the talents. Remember when the master returns and the guys are giving an account for how they used his money to the good servants, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So Jesus is using the same sort of language here but he's being a little more direct. It's not a parable. It's not a symbol. This is actually what he'll say. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Now in verse 35, he's going to tell them why they're able to inherit the kingdom that God has prepared. And it's not what you might expect. He says, for or because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, the sheep, they're going to reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? When were you ever naked and we gave you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The sheep are like, "Uh, Jesus, I think if I saw you naked on the side of the road asking me for food and water, I would remember, okay? I would have helped you out. I would have hooked you up. I would have done whatever I could to meet your needs. That never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know if you have me confused with somebody else, but this scenario that you're describing, it didn't happen. I hope that doesn't affect, you know, what's where I'm going and what's about to happen, but I don't remember that. Now watch what Jesus says. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Wow. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, that's weird. Then the king will turn to those on his left, to the goats. And he'll say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. 
I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then the goats are going to say the exact same thing that the sheep said. They'll say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? They're like, Jesus, you know me. You know I'm a good person. And if I had ever seen you in that sort of situation, you know I would have stepped up. I would have been the first one there to give you food and water because I love you, Jesus. You know I love you. This, I never got the opportunity, but I would have if I did. And Jesus is gonna reply to them using the exact same statement he did to the sheep. He will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. We just read 15 verses together and I know you only heard two of them. Okay. The only thing that your brain caught in everything I just read were those two verses where Jesus talks about punishment and fire. Okay. I know that, Jesus knows that. So what we need to do is we need to address those verses first so you can catch his larger point. Because the main point that Jesus is making here is not actually about heaven or hell, judgment or reward. It's something a little bit different, but I know that those really stick out and kind of worry you, so we need to address them. First thing I want you to understand today is Jesus is not saying that people will go to heaven or hell based on their deeds here on earth. That's not what he's saying. Now, I understand it might even be a little bit shocking in the first place for you to hear about Jesus talking about judgment and hell. You're like, I thought Jesus loved everybody. I thought Jesus accepted everyone. You you might not know it. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. He talked more about judgment than any other person in the Bible. So if that blows up your conception of who Jesus is a little bit, good. It needs to happen. We need to let Jesus say the things that Jesus said because he came to tell us the truth and the truth is not always easy to hear. Jesus did talk about judgment and he does bring it up here in this context. But what he's not saying is that you will go to heaven or hell based on the good deeds that you do here on earth. Now, if this was the only teaching that Jesus ever gave about judgment day, then totally I could understand how you would come to the conclusion that your deeds determine your destination. That would make sense if this is all we had to go on. We have lots of other verses. In fact, all the other verses in the Bible and this one properly understood tell us that we go to heaven or we go uh, to hell based not on our deeds, but instead our faith. Look at what the scriptures say. John chapter number three, verse 16. Jesus himself says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever takes care of the poor will not perish, but will have eternal life. Whoever gives change to the bum at the stoplight will find their way into heaven one day as a reward for their kindness. No, Jesus says, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts that he is the Messiah, whoever puts their faith in his death and resurrection will have eternal life. Ephesians chapter number two, verses eight and nine, make this super, super clear. That passage says, God saved us by his grace when we believed. We can't take credit for this. It's a free gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good deeds we have done. Like the Bible can't make it any plainer, but it tries. Romans 10, nine, the scripture says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the verses across the Bible tell us that we are not saved because of our good works. 
Our good works are not good enough, actually, to get us into heaven. I told the first service, um, we had seven people that got baptized. Not a single one of those people was getting baptized, and none of them are on their way to heaven because their behavior is perfect. Listen, you know good and well your friends and family's behavior is not perfect. (laughs) And your friends and family know that your behavior is not perfect. See, we don't go into our eternal destination based on our behavior, but instead based on God's mercy and grace for every single one of us. So since none of these verses hint that our treatment of the poor and needy is what gets us into heaven or hell, that can't be what Christ means here. Instead, what Jesus is saying in this teaching of the sheep and the goats is that our willingness to help those in need around us is the clearest evidence of whether we're a sheep or a goat. Are you following me? Selflessness is the defining mark of Christ's sheep. Selflessness is the characteristic that Jesus says will um, be evident in the life of one of his people. Now, selflessness doesn't make you a sheep. Selflessness marks you as a sheep. It shows that you genuinely have been changed by God. Imagine for a moment that my wife Amber wants to know whether or not I really love her. I say I love her all the time, but words are easy, right? Like it's easy to say, I love you. That's kind of what I'm expected to say. So maybe she's wondering someday, does he really mean it? Does he actually love me or is he just saying what he's supposed to say because he's married to me? Now she can't look into my heart. She has no idea whether or not I'm sincere with the words that I say based solely on the words alone. She can't read my mind. So if I'm like, I love you, psych, not really, oh my gosh. In my mind, she would never know. Okay, she can't know that. So what does she do? She doesn't listen to my words. She looks at my behavior. Why? Because my behavior reveals my beliefs. The way that I act shows whether or not what I'm saying is actually true. This is Jesus' point here. He's saying not that sheep will go to heaven because they took care of the poor, but that they're taking care of, their concern and care for the poor is evidence that they are sheep who are on their way to heaven in the very, very first place. This is what the entire book of James is all about. It's written to explain the fact that good behavior does not earn us our salvation. Rather, good behavior behavior, good deeds, kindness towards our fellow man is the evidence that God has changed our hearts on the inside. It is the outward expression of the internal change that Jesus has brought about. So please understand, Jesus is not saying that you go to heaven or hell based on good deeds or bad deeds. We good on that? Okay, with that out of the way, because that's not even the point that Jesus is making here. I just needed to make that really clear so some of you guys didn't get confused. With that out of the way, I want you to consider just how important what Jesus said is. This teaching of the sheep and the goats, when he had an opportunity to list one quality, one characteristic that he said would mark his people, that would qualify them or characterize them as truly the sheep of his pasture. He didn't talk about how much people went to church. He didn't list how much money they gave in the offering. He didn't talk about how separate from the world and sinless they are. When he had one opportunity to give one quality or characteristic to describe his people, the one that he chose was selflessness, selfless sacrifice of other people. The willingness 
to say no to me and yes to others. Selflessness is a defining mark of Christ's sheep. May we never forget that I am blessed so that I can be a blessing. Listen, we talk about getting your bags. We talk about being blessed by God in every area of your life. Too many Christians want God's blessing so they can have God's blessing. (laughs) So they can enjoy it all to themselves. So they can hoard it, so that they can keep it and live the good life. But the book of James warns us against that. James chapter number four, verse three, listen to what the scripture says. You do not have the things you want because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't receive them because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. That oftentimes God will say no to giving us his blessing, say no to giving us more resources. Why? Because we intend to keep those resources all to ourselves. God blesses me so that I can share the blessing with other people. There are so many folks in the world that are suffering every single day. God doesn't expect me, uh, rather God doesn't allow me. He doesn't even give me the opportunity to simply keep his blessings for myself. He calls me to share those blessings with the people around me who might be in need. I am a river, not a reservoir. I am an ATM machine, not a piggy bank. I am a contributor and not a consumer. I get bags so that I can give bags. If you pray that God would bless you, that you would receive his blessing on your financial life and secretly in your heart, you plan on holding it all to yourselves, rest assured he's not gonna give you his blessing. You will not receive it. Now, listen, I I don't know if I've been clear during this series. Maybe I should have said this more often and more clearly. You can get rich without God's blessing. There are lots of people that do that. I won't name them, okay, because I don't need lawsuits or anything like that. It's easy to get rich without God's blessing. But those of us that are wise know the best wealth, the best resources we could ever have are with God's blessing. And if we want his blessing on whatever resources we might have, then we cannot plan to hold it and hoard it and keep it to ourselves. We must be willing to share it with the world in need. If we don't, then we can be certain that we will not receive his blessing. In fact, if we go back to the parable of the talents, we're not going to read it all today. We'll talk more about it next week. But if we go back, and I want you to consider Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. So the master has returned. The servants are giving an account of how they used the resources and money they had been entrusted with. And I want you to notice that when the master is talking to the good servants, he talks about the bags of silver. Let's put that on the screen, Matthew 25, 21. He talks about the bags of silver. And I want you to notice he does not call them resources. He calls them responsibilities. See, we pray, God, give me more resources. I need more resources. If you give me more resources, then I would, I would help. I would serve people. I would bless your kingdom. Give me more resources. Even our wording can reveal the fact that actually we just want more for us and not for them. The word that's used here in Matthew 25 is responsibilities. You ask God for more resources, but in reality, if he does give you more, he's giving you more responsibilities. You know what the scripture says? To whom much is required, much is enjoyed, baby. No, no. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And so these are responsibilities. We have a responsibility to share what we have with people who are genuinely in need. Now, Jesus, he he lists in this teaching a, a specific type of person that we should be particularly willing to help. 
particularly willing to serve. The, the people he lists are the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the foreigner. That's what that word stranger means. It means foreigner, the naked, sick, and imprisoned. Whew, that's an interesting list. There are a few things that kind of strike me about those people. The first is these are people with real needs, like real needs, okay? I'm just like everybody else. When I read Jesus teaching and he talks about sharing with others and helping to meet other people's needs, my first, and if I'm honest, my sinful reaction is like, what about my needs, Jesus? What about my needs? But when I compare my needs with these needs, I discover that most of my needs are really just wants. These are people that have genuine needs. They don't even have the basic necessities. And these are not like, you know, nameless, faceless people over in the third world. These people live in Calgary. There are people that don't have food and drink in Calgary today. There are people that don't have stable homes. There are people that are sick and need someone to care for them. There are people that are in prison that need somebody to tell them, hey, you haven't been forgotten. You haven't been overlooked. They exist in your workplace. They exist at your kid's school. They live in our city. They are real people with real needs. And so Christ's words here, when he talks about these folks, they really force me to ask, like, how many more luxuries am I gonna chase after knowing that there are people that have their basic needs that haven't been met yet. Second thing that jumps out to me is that these are people who will likely never pay me back. They are so destitute. They are in such a bad set of circumstances that even if I give them a handout, they're probably never gonna be able to return the favor. Frankly, some of them won't even appreciate what I'm doing for them. That's just how bad their situation is. Am I willing to give to other people when there is no tangible benefit to me? When nobody but God even knows that I'm doing it, am I still willing to give? Am I still willing to help? This is exactly what Jesus calls us to. Luke chapter number 14, Jesus, he gives the parable of the banquet, which we've talked about many times over. We won't get into all of that, but he actually gives some commentary on the parable of the banquet. He says directly to his sheep, to his followers, to me and to you, Luke 14, he says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't only invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, in Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep from the goats, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could never repay you. These are people who are never going to pay you back. Are you still going to help them? There's no benefit. You don't get a tax write-off for giving change to the mom in the Walmart parking lot who's asking for help. Are you still willing to do it? Another thing that I notice here in this list is that there is no consideration from Jesus over whether these people are responsible for the circumstances that they find themselves in. Jesus doesn't say, feed the hungry, unless they're able-bodied people who should be at work then don't feed them because you're just enabling their poverty. He doesn't say that. He actually says, feed the hungry. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus, the reason they're hungry is because they made bad choices in life and they're lazy and I don't want to enable any. Nope, Jesus just says, feed the hungry. He says, go visit those that are in prison. And there is no caveats here for those that are innocent of their crimes, wrongly imprisoned, and those who deserve to be there. He just says, go visit the prisoners in my name. 
There is no consideration for whether or not these people are responsible for their circumstances or not. Jesus just says, help them. Now this kind of, this chafes at me. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Because I'm a good conservative guy. And in a good conservative guy's mind, um, we we don't want a welfare state. We don't want to enable people and keep them in their poverty. We want to help them rise up. And we're afraid that a handout is actually going to make the problem worse. And then there are some of you and you're like, well, that ain't me. But you think to yourself, like, what's the point in even helping? The problem of homelessness is so big. The problem of of too many people in prison or the wrong people being in prison or cancer. What could I possibly do to make a difference in any of that? Can I just remind you, Jesus does not call us to solve people's problems. He asks us to meet their needs. That's it. When you go stand before him on judgment day, he's not going to say, well, what did you do to fix the problem of homelessness? He's going to say, what did you do to help people who are experiencing homelessness? He's not going to say, what did you do to end world hunger? He's going to say, how did you help people around the world who were hungry? Do you understand the difference? He does not call us to fix all the problems. Now, listen, you may have a plan to fix all the problems. And if you do, God bless you. We want to hear it. You might work in an industry or you might have an exorbitant amount of resources that enables you to do things systemically that many of us cannot. And you should do them. I'm not saying we shouldn't address systemic issues or try to get to the root of the problem, any of that. But none of that alleviates us from Christ. Christ's command to help the individual people around us that are in need. We are supposed to help them regardless of whether or not they're there through their own responsibility or fault. I struggle with this. I'm telling you, there was this one time um, I was at a stoplight downtown. Amber and I live downtown. Basically, everybody that panhandles in Calgary is downtown because that's where all the services are. So like I, I have people that come up to my window multiple times a week. And there was this one time I stopped at the stoplight just right there at the Reconciliation Bridge. And there was a dude that, that was walking around with a sign and a cup. And he, he uh, was coming towards my car and the inner Pharisee came out in me, Okay. And uh, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, you'll understand by the time I describe what was going through my mind. So this dude came up and he wasn't just the guy like carrying the cup in the sign, like anybody, 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 anybody. No, no, no. He walked up to my window and just stood there, right? And I'm like the presumption of this dude, you know what I mean? Just assuming that I'm going to give him something. So I think the approach was off and maybe that's what triggered me. I don't know. But I started thinking to myself, if I give this dude one loony, he's just going to drink it up. And I do not want to be a party to his sin, Lord. You know that. It would be a waste. He would waste that money. And that's bad stewardship. You call me to be a good steward. So you know what? By not helping this man, I'm actually honoring you. You're welcome, Jesus. And so I sat there at the stoplight, staring straight ahead, refusing to look at this guy. (laughs) Then the light turned green and I was anxious to get out of there. And a weird thing happened. I, as I was trying to get going, I fumbled the Starbucks cup that was in my hand. And you guys, would you know it? I spilled my $8 latte on my $300 sneakers. Okay, none of that happened. I made it all up, but you know where I'm coming from here. You know exactly my point. 
I'm worried about this dude and how he spends his money. Maybe I need to be a little more concerned with how I spend my own money. I'm judging him for wasting money, but the reality is I waste my own money. How he uses whatever resources he might get, that is between him and God. You know what's between me and God? How I use whatever resources I might be given. I have a responsibility to help other people. Yeah, 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 but it's their fault and I don't wanna make them, so what? Give, help. On judgment day, God is not going to ask you for all the explanations and excuses. He's gonna ask you whether or not you were obedient. One more thing I wanna point out here. There is nothing in Jesus' words that hints that helping out this group of people is reserved for those special Christians that have the spiritual gifts of mercy, hospitality, and generosity. It's not like, oh, well, I don't have any of those gifts, so I'm off the hook. No, this is not a command to a special group of Christians. This is the defining quality of all Christians. We are supposed to be known as selfless people people who will sacrifice, people who will serve, who will do absolutely everything we can to help those around us that are truly in need. Now, obviously, you cannot say yes to every need in the world. There are more people that need help in our city than there are resources in my bank account to help them. So how do I know when to say yes and when to say no? And understand, it is okay sometimes to say no. How do I know when to say yes and when to say no? How do I know of all the problems here in our city, of all the problems around the world, how do I know which ones I should get behind and try to make better? Well, here's a principle to guide you. I think you should give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Give from a grateful heart and give from a broken heart. So ask yourself, like, what breaks your heart in the world today? Maybe, maybe homelessness. You're just like, man, I hate the fact that there are people that are sleeping outside tonight. It could be the plight of refugees. Maybe it's creation care, and that matters to you. Human trafficking. I don't know what it is, but find a, a cause that you support and then get behind individuals and nonprofits who are doing work to alleviate the suffering in that area. Now, listen, I'm not saying... Just, just post on Facebook about it. I'm not saying, you know, yeah, I'm really moved by the plight of the homeless. That just really bothered. What are you doing about it? Right. right? Like on judgment day, Jesus is not going to say, did it bother you that there were hungry people? Did it bother you that there were homeless people? Did it bother you that there were sick people? Or did you do something about it? That's the criteria he's going to use. We, we have gotten into the age of slacktivism. You, you familiar with that term, slacktivism? It's activism that doesn't require anything from me. <laughs> praying for, I'm not really praying for them, but at least I post it on socials. <laughs> Our good intentions are not enough. Our feelings are not enough. Like we've got to get engaged We've got to start making a difference. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing. So let's start. Whatever it is that breaks your heart in the world today, there are people, boots on the ground already that are doing wonderful ministry and help in that area and you can be a part of supporting them. Also ask, what are you grateful for? It's possible that throughout your life, you have been the person in need. And somebody stepped in and they made a difference for you. And you're grateful for their generosity. You're grateful for their service. You're grateful for their sacrifice. Pass that on. 
Like if, if you were adopted as a child, for goodness sake, you should be so grateful, of course, for a family that would welcome you in and treat you as their own. So like maybe because of your gratitude for your adoption story, you support adoption efforts in the future. You might be a person that has beat addiction where so many others fail and fall. You have somehow managed to succeed through the grace of God and through the help of, of wise people. You should pass that on. Help others that are in the middle of their struggles. Help them overcome the things that they've been through. Whatever you're grateful for, then give out of the gratitude for what you've experienced and how you've been helped in the past. If there is a church or a ministry that you have benefited from, get involved, serve, give, attend regularly. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just saying... If there is a church that has blessed you, if you are thankful and if you're brokenhearted for people that are walking in the doors every Sunday morning, looking for hope, looking for help, looking for answers, don't just sit there and say, boy, I'm glad this church is here for them. Say, I am glad that we are here for you. Give from a grateful heart and a broken heart. Speaking of connect, I guess I was talking about us. Thinly veiled, I know. There are so many opportunities for you to get involved in serving people in need here. I, I, like these opportunities exist. They're here all the time. You might not even know that they exist. Like we have Christmas shop. You heard it at the top of the message. This is the last week. Last year, we served over a hundred families who live in low-income housing in neighborhoods right around our building, right here across the highway. You could walk there in short order if you wanted to. And these are families, the kids there are not going to have Christmas or they're not going to have much of a Christmas without help. We get to be a part of the help. We're not all the help that they're going to receive. We don't have to solve their problems. We just have to meet their needs. We have one week left to bring in toys. If you haven't bought a single toy yet, this is, it couldn't be any easier. At least on judgment day, you're like, God, you remember 2023, I bought that little Thomas the, the tank engine toy for that kid. I mean, I was helping out. Whatever, just get involved. It couldn't be, go to our website, connectcalgary.ca. There's a link on there. We have an Amazon wish list. You can literally just click it, buy a toy that costs 15 or $20, have it shipped directly to the church. It couldn't be any easier. We have serve groups that meet. We have serve groups every single semester, uh, community groups that are out in our city making a difference. I'm a part of our, our serve group on Tuesdays. Every other Tuesday, we go down to the drop-in center and we serve dinner down there. And it's always so fascinating to me that like, that's always one of the groups that has like the lowest signups in the beginning. But by the end of the semester, it's always one of our strongest. It's always one of our best attended groups. Why? Because people realize when you get out into the world and you start serving people in Jesus' name, it is good. It is meaningful. They appreciate it. You start to understand the value of it. You get a broader picture of what's really going on around in our city. Like it's an incredible opportunity. It's free. We do all the work. We send you an email. We say, just show up and we'll walk you through everything. It couldn't be any easier. We've got serve weeks and we've got our legacy team and we've got our dream team. We have all of these opportunities around the church to actually invest, to serve, to sacrifice. And it's not just money. Money is certainly part of it. We'll talk about this next week, but 
there are three, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Resources, we could call them, responsibilities, in the parable of the talents that the servants actually are accountable for. The first one is their money. Yes, what did they do with the resources and responsibilities the master had given financially? The second is time. The master goes on a journey and one day he's gonna return. There is a limited amount of time to use the master's resources in his service. What are we gonna do with it in the period of time that we have? And then the third resource that they have there is their giftings. Remember, it says the master divided his resources among his servants in proportion to their abilities. You have gifts and talents. We, you know, we didn't have somebody playing keys today because we don't have enough people that are able to fill the schedule to play keys. So like if you're here and you're not a part of the worship team, there is obvious opportunity for you. You have time, you have talents, you have treasure. You could sit on your hands if you want to, but Christ calls you to get out of the seat. Get on the field, contribute, make a difference. There is nothing better on planet earth than giving your life away to something bigger and better than you. Give from a grateful heart, give from a broken heart, get involved. God, would you help us? This is not easy for me. I know it's not easy for everybody. I'm just praying that you would give us this selflessness that Jesus commands here. Through the work of your spirit, we would be generous. We would be willing to say yes to other people. If that requires us to say no to ourselves, God help us to do it. We have to die to ourselves daily. We have to decrease so that you can increase. So God, help us to make much of Jesus and little of ourselves. Help us to to not focus on what we get from you, but what we can give to your kingdom. Help us to live with purpose and intentionality and meaning. Help us not to spend and waste our days, God. That would be a true tragedy. And I believe it's what you wanna protect us from. So I'm praying, God, you would make this a church that is completely committed to serving those that are in need willing to sacrifice and say yes to anything you might ask God for your sake, for your glory, and for the good of the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.